Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. Today is a different kind of sermon because we are observing a National Suicide Prevention Week or month. There's different different versions of it that are around. And so I think this is important for a, a great number of reasons, and I want to have a frank conversation. Suicide is not easy to talk about, and that's part of the problem, and that it needs to be talked about more. Uh, so I'm glad you all are here today to uh, hear it, and I promise you there is, is going to be a sermon of hope above all else. I also want you to know that this is a sermon that I hope will live on for a while on our website, on our podcast feed. So I want to say directly to anybody who might discover this sermon down the road, welcome, and I'm glad you're here too. Now, I want to start with a couple of uh, statistics just to kind of get us, uh, get us, uh, get us in the mode here. Uh, now, the uh, uh, suicide rates have increased alarmingly for the last 10 to 15 years, and I heard on the news only last night as we go into Suicide Prevention Week uh, that they're up again this year, newly announced numbers. In 2021, the most recent numbers I could find online, there were an estimated 1.7 million suicide attempts in the U.S., and more than 48,000 people died from suicide. Get this, white males accounted for nearly 70% of those deaths, with firearms being used for more than half. Statistics suggest that middle-aged white males are most likely to die from suicide. So middle-aged white males are most likely to die from suicide, but women and teenagers are more likely to attempt it and to contemplate suicide. Now, I don't think I have to tell you, this is us, Trinity. This is us. This is our neighborhoods. This is our friends and the people that we know. It is us. And we've seen it. We've seen it even within our church, though not perhaps talked about as widely or as openly uh, as it might be for obvious reasons. But I want to give you some hope, too, uh, right off the bat. There was the uh, scientific journal Psychiatry, which is part of the American Medical Association, did a study of women ages 30 to 55, so kind of a broad understanding of middle age uh, of women. And it found that if they attended religious services at least once a week, not online, and this is important, not online, but in person, there was a five-fold lower rate of suicide than those that did not attend church weekly. Five-fold. So clearly, faith is part of that, finding value and worth in God. But the in-person part implies to me that it's about connection with other people. It's about those kinds of relationships that we develop in church. You know, we don't have many opportunities for relationships like that in the world, but church is one of them. So if the suicide statistics describe us, then surely that does too, right? And surely that also means that we as Trinity can be a source of help for our friends and neighbors, not to mention each other. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this today, so that Trinity can be a source of help and hope for our community and for our neighborhoods and our friends. Now, I do want to uh, say, as we get into this, I want to uh, thank Adam Hamilton and the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood in the Kansas City area. Uh, he has a lot more uh, time and staff to research things than I do, so a lot of this sermon today comes from some of the stuff that he put together as well as some of the video interviews that he did. Uh, you will be happy to know, however, that while Adam's sermon was over 50 minutes long, mine is not. <laughs> no. 
know. Uh, but all the same, I do thank uh, Church of the Resurrection for so much of the research and the structure here too. Now, I want to start, as we get into this, with some basic prevention. Now, this is the kind of thing you'll hear everywhere, but the more often we hear it, the more likely it is to stick, right? So, uh, let's start by talking about the potential signs to watch for with suicide. There's a social isolation and withdrawal from somebody's normal activities, an unusual agitation, you know, they're more angry, they're more irritable than normal, uh, an increased use of substances, um, impulsive behaviors, especially if they're not normally impulsive, but they seem to be lately. Sadness and feelings of hopelessness are, of course, signs as well. Now, uh, when you leave today, we're going to give everybody a card, and this card has those signs to watch for on them. Uh, So you will have a copy of those as you go. But here's one of the tricky things. Sometimes there aren't signs. Sometimes uh, somebody having suicidal thought uh, uh, does not uh, show that kind of sign, and it can be difficult. It can be subtle. So what do you do if you wonder if somebody might be thinking about suicide or if they might be thinking about harming themselves? For that, I want to turn to one of those video interviews that I mentioned. This is of a psychologist uh, named Emily Snow, and she also talks a little bit about teenage suicide. Let's watch. You ask, are you going to hurt yourself? Do you feel like harming yourself? Do you feel like life is hopeless? And if they say yes, the first thing you want to do is make sure you keep them safe. Lock up your guns, you lock up your medications, that you keep your home um, safe from items that a a person might use to harm themselves. Don't leave them alone. Make sure they're with you or a friend or family member until they can get connected to help. That could be a primary care physician, that could be an emergency room, that could be a, a therapist if they've already got someone set up. After you get them connected with those services, don't just stop there and think, okay, it's all fine, because it, it just doesn't end there. You need to continue to support that person and continue to ask and be there for them. What I can say is that the kids that we are seeing and the kids and the kids that I read about feel a lot of external pressure to be successful. They also just can't handle the pressure of normal school life and I think part of that I don't want to blame social media but what I do think happens is kids don't get a break like they used to before social media uh, existed they don't get to go home and take a break and just be with their family I just over and over tell parents that it's okay to talk about suicide it's okay to talk about um, feeling hopeless and it's okay to talk about feeling overwhelmed That last point about it being okay to talk about, that really is key. Before I get there, though, I do want to say, uh, if you haven't heard, we are uh, we did invite somebody uh, from uh, Centerpoint to come out to our church this afternoon, and they're going to do a, a class at 2 o'clock downstairs called QPR. It sounds like CPR, right? In this, question, though, in this case, though, it's question, persuade, and refer, and it's a way, uh, easy steps that you can remember to talk to somebody who might be thinking about suicide. Uh, and so if that... Uh, Uh, is something that calls to you. I hope you'll come this afternoon at two. But uh, uh, back to the point though, we have this tendency to think that if we talk about suicide with somebody, we might be planting the idea in their head. 
And I think mostly that comes from our own fear. You know, it's that what if they said yes? You know, what would I say after that? We don't want to face the fact that somebody, uh, somebody that we care about might be in that place. And so we, we justify it. We tend to think that, oh, well, we don't want to bring it up because we wouldn't want to encourage or we wouldn't want to place any ideas. But here's the thing. Researchers say the exact opposite. The research says that the exact opposite of that is true. In fact, if you do ask somebody if they've thought about harming themselves, what it does is it provides a counterbalance to the thoughts that they're having that can't do anything except good. If someone is having suicidal thoughts, you have a chance to plant a yes but in their head. You have a chance to put uh, thoughts that can counter those suicidal thoughts in them. Yes, but I love you. Yes, but your life does have meaning. I can see it. And it's so much better to do that than to allow somebody just to ruminate, just to chew on those suicidal thoughts without that counterbalance there. And so never ever be afraid to ask somebody if you have even the slightest hunch that they might be thinking about harming themselves. The worst case scenario, the worst it could possibly go is that they say, no, of course not. But then they know you care and you've established yourself as a safe person if they have any trouble come up in their life in the future. That's the worst that can happen. So never be afraid to bring it up. Now there's one other little logistical thing. Uh, well, I almost said silly. It's not silly at all. I want everybody to take out their phones right now. And I'm serious. If you have it with you, take it out and open up the phone app. I use iOS, so it's the green phone app. I know Android phones can be a little different. Uh, uh, go to the contacts page, hit the plus in the upper right corner, and type in suicide and crisis lifeline. Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, and then for the number, it is about as easy as can be, 988. 988 for the number. Now, that is a new thing that's gone into effect even, even within the last year around the nation. Uh, it's easy to remember. It's like 911, right? Only it's 988, and it's for mental health crises of any type, including suicide. Now, you may ask, why should we bother making a contact in our phone for a number that's as easy to remember as 988? I'll tell you why. It's so that you can share it. It's so that if you're talking to a coworker or a friend or uh, someone, it could even be on a Zoom call across the country for all I know, and, and, and it comes up, you have this contact ready to go in your phone, and you can hit the share button on it, and you can send it to their email as a text, you airdrop, you know, whatever, whatever works, you can send it to them. So you're not making this contact for you to help you remember it, you're making it so that you can provide it to somebody else as a prompt, and I thank you if you did that. Um, then call, tell them to talk to you again afterwards, to tell them after they've done it, to help them, uh, hold them accountable. And if they don't, check with them. You know, I mentioned that uh, Adam Hamilton uh, uh, provided many of the resources to this, uh, for this uh, uh, sermon today. One of the stories that he tells in his sermon is of uh, uh, talking to a, a, an officer who works the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Now, I don't remember the statistics of how many people commit suicide on the Golden Gate Bridge, but this officer's job is to watch for people that are about to attempt suicide. He knows the signs, he watches for them, his beat is to go up and down the bridge and to find them, and he's trained in how to talk them down. Now, what do you think he said the biggest factor is? It's hope. 
It's being able to see a positive future because when you're in that place, you can't imagine a positive future for yourself. And he said that if he could help them see that there was light on the other side of the dark times they were in, if he could help them see that there was a pathway to a better place, they'd usually step down. And that hope could be their worth to another person in their life, that they, that they mattered to somebody who cared about them. Now, a big part of hope is offering somebody a pathway, that, a pathway that they can follow. And so sending somebody a number like that, 988, having that conversation with someone to let them know that you care, these are all ways that offer a pathway towards hope for people. Now, Adam also said that the Golden Gate Bridge officer said something else. Adam asked him, do you ever miss one? When you're patrolling the Golden Gate Bridge, do you ever see somebody who's about to commit suicide? Are you ever talking to them and they jump anyway? And do you know what he said? He said very matter-of-factly, oh yeah, all the time. Now, can you imagine what that must be like? But he went on to say that you have to remember that it's not your fault. It's depression that's killing them or whatever the the mental illness uh, condition may be. All that you can give is the best you have in the moment. You can't always stop it. And so you have to forgive yourself for for not having more than you have. But at the same time, making that attempt at least has a chance, and it's at least more than was there before. Now, those who lose a loved one to suicide often need to hear exactly that, because I I, I can't even imagine what it must be like. It's not something that's happened to me, but I can't imagine the guilt. You'd ask yourself, if only I had done this, if only I'd had another conversation, if only I'd checked in more, if only I'd phrased this differently, or if only I'd noticed the signs. And if you're someone who's been close to suicide in your past, the first thing I want to say is, I'm sorry, I can't even imagine what the weight must be like that you carry. But I also want to say, take a lesson from the the, the Golden Gate Bridge officer, because it is okay to forgive yourself. It isn't your fault if their brain chemistry was out of whack, and none of us can offer more than what we have. Now, I want to turn to the Bible and to our tradition of faith, because the other opportunity here is for our faith to speak into suicide. Uh, Now, some people think that if they follow God, life will be great, (laughs) but you don't have to read very far in the Bible to see that that's not true. That's, That's not the way it is for practically anyone in the Bible. Here's a better way to say it. Faith is what we hold on to when everything else seems to fall away. It's the anchor that keeps us grounded when the storms of life buffet us. You know, the metaphor that I like, I am not a sailor. Uh, I have never been on a small craft of any kind, let alone in a storm. But I understand there's a thing called a lifeline, that there are lines on the boat that you tie around your waist or however you affix it, so that if you were to fall overboard, you could be pulled back in and you at least wouldn't drift off too far away from the ship, right? That's what faith is. Faith doesn't mean that storms aren't going to come. They don't mean that we're not even going to fall overboard sometimes. What faith is, is the lifeline. It's what we hang on to in those difficult times to pull us back. And it's a faith that comes through each of us. Now, there are many people in the Bible who have suicidal thoughts, or at least uh, pray that they wish their life would end. You could make a long list of all the people who did. Moses was one of them, the great leader. 
But the first Scripture uh, that Jen read for us earlier is certainly one of them, and I want you to hear it again. How long will you forget me, Lord? Feels like God's abandoned them. How long will you forget me, Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I be left to my own wits, agony filling my heart? Daily? How long will my enemy keep defeating me? Look at me, praying to God here. Look at me, God. Answer me, Lord my God. Restore sight to my eyes. Otherwise, I'll sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I won. My foes will rejoice over my downfall. Now, one thing about the Psalms, they're very honest about what happens in life sometimes, about what we go through, about what, how those storms make us feel. But the other thing about the Psalms is that they never stay there. They show us the other side, too. They show us what's on the other side of the storm. So, no sooner has the psalmist said, otherwise I'll sleep the sleep of death, than he turns around and says, but I have trusted in your faithful love. Still has the lifeline. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Yes, I will sing to the Lord because He has been good to me, holding on to it in the midst of the storm. Personally, when it comes to suicide, my favorite story is the one, or suicidal thoughts, I should say, my favorite is the story of Elijah. Elijah, the great prophet, you can read about him in 1 Kings if you want. His story goes on for quite a long time. But there's one point where everybody is out to get him. Everything has gone wrong. Everything has fallen apart in his life, and he doesn't see any way out. He has no hope at all, and he runs off into the desert. Now, I want to read this one to you also. Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. He arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. He himself went further on into the desert, a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down and slept under the solitary broom bush. He was clearly hoping to not wake up, was he not? Then, suddenly, a messenger tapped him and said to him, Get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes and saw flatbread baked on, the glowing, on, on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. Did you notice he hadn't eaten or drank in the middle of the desert? Yet in the middle of his sleep, a messenger come and he wakes up and there's food and there's a jar of, of water right by his head. Continues, he ate and drank and then he went back to sleep. Remember one of the signs of depression is a change in sleeping patterns? He went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said. Eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. And Elijah got up, ate, and drank and went refreshed by that food for 40 days and nights, a symbolic number, until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. Now, the word messenger in this 
is one that can be translated a couple of ways. Oftentimes, that same Hebrew word is translated angel. And in some Bible versions, it will say, God sent an angel to help them. This particular one, the Common English Bible, chooses to say messenger. And I rather like that. I mean, it could go either way, but I kind of like that, and I'll tell you why. Because angels are God's messengers. That's their role that we see in Scripture. But oftentimes… God sends you and me to be the messengers. God sends you and me to be the presence in someone's life that helps care for them, to spot the people that may be down and to ask them the difficult questions. Are you thinking of harming yourself? To provide for them a little bit of food and water when all they can do is sleep. Sometimes God calls upon us to be the messenger. Now, there's one more thing I want to address, and that is a bit of bad theology around suicide that too many people still hold on to and too many people believe, and that is an old belief that if you die by suicide, you'll go to hell. Now, first of all, I don't believe in hell, as most people hear it in that phrase. This is a topic I've been on before, and I'm happy to talk more as kind of more of a small group thing than a sermon kind of thing, but I don't believe the Bible supports uh, hell in the sense of eternal damnation. But second of all, to say that anybody who commits suicide goes to hell is a small view of God's grace. It's taking a very small view of God's love even. Why would God punish someone because of depression? Why would God uh, punish someone because chemicals are out of balance in their brain or whatever it may happen to be. No, that's bad theology. My belief goes more like this. I do believe that when somebody completes suicide, and by the way, that is the better way to say it, complete instead of commit. If somebody completes suicide, I do think that God is disappointed. I do believe that God probably says something, at least I imagine God saying, saying something like this, what are you doing here? I had so many plans for your life. Now you're going to miss out on so much joy that I had planned for you. I was going to use your life for so many things to help other people, and now you're going to miss that. But I imagine God saying, you're still my child, and I love you. And the reason that's how I believe is because that's what we see in the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know it, go look it up. But it's the story uh, of the one who runs away from God's desires, or from his father's desires and his father's wishes. Uh, but when he returns back home, he's welcomed with opened arms. And I think that's part of what we have to remember with suicide too that even when it is completed, even when somebody dies from suicide, that God still loves them, that God still welcomes them, and that, God st that they are still in God's presence. And that also leaves hope for those who've lost someone. You know, I never think it's God's will for somebody to take their own life before it's time. But at the same time, God never lets a tragedy be the last word. God never lets a tragedy be the end. I want to show you another video from Church of the Resurrection. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to hear all of the stories of the people that you're going to see in these videos. I'll tell you briefly that the couple that you see lost their son, who was a teenager, and the woman that you see lost her husband, who was struggling at work. All of them went through a, a terrible period and in many ways, they will always struggle. 
but I want you to see how God sent messengers. I want you to see how God surrounded them. Let's watch. For us, um, there were moments when the people around us supporting us was the most tangible act of love. What an enormous difference it made just to have people show up, just to bring anything. We had people bringing toilet paper. We had people, you know, helping take care of our yard. We had people just, and, and, and every bit of it was a grace to us, uh, something we received as a gift. And, uh, and conversationally, everybody who has ever asked me or mentioned Hunter's name has been a blessing. I have amazing, amazing friends. Um, the church was amazing in the support and the love that they gave me. I actually had someone from my small group, they, you know, took turns spending the night at my house. And I don't know how people make it through a moment like that without people around them. And frankly, I don't know how people make it through a moment like that without a church like this, um, where people care for one another. For me, one of the, uh, the kind of bedrocks for me was just the sense of God is our strength. God is my strength. My verse for, for 2018 was, um, I will lift you up out of the mud and the mire and set your feet on a firm place to stand. My faith is not as simplistic as it used to be. And it's never been as important to me as it is today. You see how they were surrounded by the people in their lives and the people of their church? What the, the woman even said that the members of her small group, like what we call growth groups here, took turns spending the night in her house so she wouldn't be alone for a while. It's remarkable to see how God, through God's people, surrounds us when even the worst happens. Those kinds of deep caring relationships aren't just about preventing suicide, though they're also that. They're also about caring for whatever comes in life, whatever storm buffets, because the only way we can get through it is whatever the mysterious thing is that God does when we are together. Okay, one last thing, and I save this for last because I want it to echo in your head. I want you to remember it and I want you to take it with you. In fact, I mean that literally. <laughs> I'm gonna give you four points, four points that are true for every single person, no matter what. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you believe, these are four things that are true of every single person. And when you leave, today, we're going to give you a card. We have little business card-sized cards printed up that have the suicide uh, hotline on it, the 988. They have the, the, uh, the signs to look for, uh, and then they have these four points on them too. And we're going to give you one when you leave. And when you do it, put it in your wallet. Put it in your wallet right now. You know, look at it if you want, but then if you have one of those little card holders on your phone, just slip it in there and put it back in your pocket or put it in your wallet or whatever it may happen to be. And if you ever have the moment to give it away, give it away. And we have more. We'll always have a stack around. Now, are you ready for the four points that are true for every single person no matter what? Here they are. You are loved... You are loved by and matter to God. The second one, no pain lasts forever. Third, there is always hope. Hope means a better future, right? There is always something on the other side. There is always hope. And fourth, others 
can help, even if it seems like they can't. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that your love is so infinite. Thank you that your care for us, that the value you give to us is beyond what we can ever imagine. Oh God, we pray that you would be with those who lose sight of that. We, we pray that you would be with those for whom it seems easier not to engage it. We pray for them. Help them to see your love. Help them to see your worth. And God, if any of us ever find ourselves in a position to ask someone if they've considered harming themselves, give us the courage to do it. Help us to ask. Help us to affirm their worth and who they are. Help us to give them even just a little bit of hope. And if they can't hope for themselves, help us to hope enough for them. And God, if you ever call on us to be the messenger that helps someone who is down, may we be blessed to respond. We pray it in the name of the one who loves us more than we can ever know. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.